Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 7, 13 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Well, it is uh, always a privilege to uh, stand behind a sacred desk and to talk to you about the most fascinating uh, person in all of the universe for all times, which is uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, as we start off, uh, before we jump into this text, I, I want to kind of give a, a quick, uh, uh, have a look forward to our next series that we're going to do. As we've been traveling through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to pause for about six weeks and go through the book of Daniel together. And so we're going to do a survey of the life of Daniel. The series is called Loyalty. And we're going to look at how to remain a faithful in a faithless world. So next week, Pastor Robert Chong is going to kind of close out this section in Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount. And then a week after, we'll dive into uh, the book of Daniel. Really excited about this series. Uh, really excited to study the life of Daniel. And uh, I think that it's a, a good word uh, for us in this season. Uh, second, I wanted to say happy Father's Day uh, to all of our fathers that are here today. Um, as a reward or gift to you, we've got free coffee out in the lobby. <laughs> For visitors, uh, you might have to ask your neighbor why everyone's laughing, all right? Uh, it's, not, it's free every week uh, to everyone. <laughs> uh, also, I just want to say to those who uh, uh, are, are fathers, whether biologically or um, uh, those who have adopted, we, we see you, we, we praise God for you um, and, and being a dad. And then there are those here who are not fathers, who um, in many ways uh, are fathers because you mentor and disciple uh, men and women. And we want to praise God for you, for your life of hospitality and pouring into others. And regardless of where you are or how you feel today, whether you're happy or sad or have mixed emotions because of the complications of being a dad or of, uh, of or maybe not even knowing your father, um, we, we are with you. We're praying for you, and, uh, and we want to acknowledge you and see you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are a faithful, good, loving, unchanging, immutable Father. And our prayer this morning is that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. 
Holy Spirit, you are present. You are sovereign. You are good. You desire to mediate the presence of Jesus in our hearts so that we can experience him and know him and be filled up with the width, breadth, height, and depth of his love. Would you help us to do that? Would you help me to do that? Who is sufficient for this this task to preach the immeasurable riches of Christ? Um, But through you, um, I can do it, and through you, your people can receive. Uh, So speak now, for your servants are listening. In the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Well, today we are... Uh, just diving into uh, this, this sermon and picking up at verse 13. And we're talking about a subject that I think is, is really important that we just don't talk about enough as Christians, and that is uh, spiritual discernment. Uh, specifically today, I'm going to entitle kind of kingdom discernment, this ability to observe, to seek, to investigate um, and in order to, to be able to live rightly uh, before God and in his kingdom. And so today we're going to uh, do what I think what Jesus would want us to do and what he was doing as he was preaching uh, the most amazing sermon that was ever preached and that he was helping his disciples, uh, those whom he has been journeying with uh, for a short while, those whom he's called to follow him so that he can make them, form them to be fisher of men, um, that he is helping them now to discern what is of his kingdom and what is not And so in these next few verses, what he's going to do uh, at the end of the sermon is almost like an altar call. It's almost like uh, points of uh, application. He's kind of landing the plane uh, plane of his sermon, and he's doing it in such a way to say, hey, here's how you know if you're going the right way. Here's how you know if you are living out your identity as a kingdom of citizens. And so he's going to give us two paths to discern. a path that in which one enters into either a narrow gate or a wide gate. Uh, then he's going to give us two prophets uh, to discern, those who are true prophets and those who are false prophets. And next week, we're going to see that he's going to give us two foundations in which we are going to have to investigate or to discern. Uh, that is a foundation that is grounded on a rock, and that is a, a foundation that is built on sand. And so Jesus uh, wants his... Uh, uh, listeners and those who are watching to be able to discern. And so it's two movements that we want to look at in today's text. The first is uh, that kingdom citizens must discern the kingdom path. And the second is, is that kingdom citizens must discern uh, true kingdom preachers. And so when we talk about discerning the path, we see in verse 14 that Jesus is powerfully says these words, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. So Jesus is going to set before us two paths. The narrow path, which is described as difficult, but it's a difficulty that leads to life and that few will find it versus uh, what he says just the verse before, which is a wide road, a wide road uh, that has a a wide gate. Uh, It's broad. It leads to destruction. Um, And many people will go through it. And so Jesus is urging, is preaching to this crowd in order to get them to go through the the narrow gate. Narrow gate, in essence, is an exclusive gate. It is a very focused gate. It is a specific gate. It is a restricted gate. 
This narrow gate points us to Jesus himself. Uh, we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount how Jesus is inviting these disciples to be a part of his kingdom. And in essence, being a part of his kingdom means coming through a door that is low and cross-shaped. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says these words, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. I mean, this is what Jesus is talking about, this narrow way, this door. He is the door. And uh, those who enter through him, who go to the Father through him, uh, they'll come in and go out and there will be green pastures. Uh, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this is what we as Christians call the exclusivity of Jesus. In essence, that there is one way to eternal life. There is one way to true joy. There is one way to true flourishing. There is one way to be saved, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's by seeing him as Lord and Savior. There are not many paths. There are not many roads. There are not many ways up the mountain. There is one way, and it's through him. And Jesus tells us that uh, those who are going to go through him are those who are going to go through a narrow gate. A narrow gate. And this gate in this way is a difficult way. It's a difficult way. Think about the context of the Sermon on the Mount and all the difficult things that Jesus has said. I mean, he says that those who are blessed, those who are flourishing, are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I mean, that's difficult, right? Uh, The way to life is a way uh, not to following our lust and our passions, but it's by crucifying him. That's difficult. The way to live as a kingdom citizen is to put his honor before our honor, is if someone slaps you on one side of the cheek, instead of retaliating uh, for his glory and for his namesake, you turn the other cheek. That is difficult. It's difficult. But yet Jesus says that this is the narrow way and this is the way that he's called you to. So if you're feeling the difficulties of being a Christian today, If there's a a, a weeping, a a mourning, a a, a yearning, a a hardship that you feel, this is the Christian way. It is is a way of picking up a cross. It is low and it's it's cross-shaped. But not only is this way difficult, we see that that also this this mark is is interestingly enough, um, it leads to life. And even though it's difficult, it leads to life. Psalm chapter 1, we talked about as we open this series how what Jesus is doing on his mountain is he is taking the a position of a sage. Um, he is picking up and expanding the mantle of people like David and Solomon and those who wrote the wisdom literature. Psalm 1, blesses a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by Streams of living water who yields its fruit in this season and his leaves will not wither. But the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Jesus is saying uh, that the narrow gate is a difficult gate, but it's the gate that leads to flourishing, to growth, to fruit, to rest, to peace. But then he says that it is a way that few will be able to find. Now, when we think about this, few will be able to find, we want to understand Uh, the context of what Jesus is doing. He's talking to a group of people who are a minority of of Rome and also a minority of their own kinsmen. 
Uh, They're a minority of Rome. Rome is a place of debauchery and where anything goes, where one just uh, follows and follows and the lust of their flesh, the pride of life. Uh, Jesus is saying that you all in the midst of Rome are going to be few, but you all in the midst of your own kinsmen are going to be few. Your own kinsmen are going to stay uh, with uh, their own traditions. They're going to continue to elevate Moses and Abraham and its patriarchs as, as, as really uh, the ones in which uh, they look to for salvation. Uh, they are going to yearn for a Messiah that they're actually going to miss in me. He says, you are going to be a despised majority group. It's going to often feel like you are, are few. Uh, which begs the question, is Jesus saying that the way into heaven um, is, is so tight and so small that there will hardly be anyone there? Well, I think this is where we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Uh, Jesus uh, gives us a vision in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, through the Apostle John, who says this, After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, and language, which no one can number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Is the Bible contradicting itself? Which is true? Are there few who are going to be able to find it, or are there a vast number of people who are going to be able to find it? I believe what the Bible is getting at is this. Comparably speaking, when you think about the narrow way and the trillions of trillions and trillions of people who have lived, that the majority of the crowds, they will choose a way devoid of Jesus. They will choose different philosophies. They will choose different ways of viewing the world, and they will think that their way is, is, is the way to salvation. But comparatively speaking, there are only going to be a few, billions and billions, a vast number, who will actually stay the course and go the right way, which is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is letting his disciples know that the way of the kingdom is a way that is hard, that is lonely, but that also is full of joy and life. The way of the kingdom is difficult, but he's not difficult. In Matthew chapter 11, he's going to tell tell them that that his burden is, is light. Jesus himself is everything good, everything true, and everything joyful. But we, as those who have received light and received a way, are living countercultural. It's going to feel like we are swimming upstream. The world are going to look at us, and, and they're going to see you as, as outcasts, as aliens, as, as, as sojourners, as, as fools. Why, when you are cursed, do you bless? Why, when you can choose a path of of flourishing by by human means, do you humble yourself and go a different path that means that you miss the promotion? Why do you remain loyal and faithful to someone who died such a gruesome and humiliating death like Jesus? A few years ago, my wife and I were in Israel, and it was a unique group that we got to go with. And as a result, we got to get some unique privileges that week, places that we got to go that maybe the average tourist wouldn't go. And it was a, really a, the grace of God that allowed us to go. And while we were there, um, our tour guide said, hey, we're going to take you to a never-traveled-through uh, tunnel that is underneath uh, the temple. And we're going to uh, allow this group to go through. Another tourist group uh, has not gone through. They just uh, completed it. And it's very narrow. Uh, There's one way in and there's one way out. The ceilings is low. 
it's gonna, you're going to feel like the walls are coming in on you. But on the other side of this, this uh, tunnel is, a, is treasure. It's a recent uh, excavated uh, remains uh, that only a few eyes have seen. Um, and so my wife is just all excited. And she's like, yes, this is going to be amazing. Uh, at the end of this tunnel, this is going to be this great picture. And the whole way through, she's just talking and laughing and having a good time. Me, I'm picking up on a subtle social cues. I'm probably about 60, 65 pounds heavier, and I hear low, tight, and bumpy. <laughs> and one way in and one way out, I'm like, I don't care what's on the other side. This don't sound too fun. So the whole way there, I'm ducking, running into stuff, bumping, and she's just, oh, this, da, 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 just a f- social butterfly. And I'm like, Lord, please don't let me die <laughs> underneath this tunnel. Um, but on the other side, it was. It was beautiful. We got to get an experience that was worth the travel and ro- worth the bumps. And there are some here today, you feel how tight it is to be a Christian. I mean, and it's tight intentionally because, because God has not called us to, to look back. No one puts their uh, uh, hands to the plow and look back. He's called us to walk a straight, narrow way that is difficult and sometimes lonely. But if we keep our eyes looking forward, we do it in community. We remember what our reward is and our treasure, which is Jesus today. And seeing him face to face one day, we'll be able, we'll be able to make it. And so, fathers, I just want to encourage you today, man, to walk that narrow way. Acknowledge the difficulty of being a Christian in a, in a society that is Christless. Understand that it's probably going to get harder and that there are kingdom values versus worldly values, but continue to press into those kingdom values and know that the very best gift that you can give your child is Jesus. It's not them thinking that you're awesome. It's not you trying to live a life in which you don't wound them because uh, you're going to wound your child because you are wounded. Um, But it's constantly pointing them to a heavenly father who loved you so much that that he sent his own son to die the death that you deserve so that you can have everlasting life. And though we do it imperfectly, we keep pointing them the narrow path. And though we are tempted and we fall and we stumble in this narrow walk, we get back up and we continue to move forward knowing that Jesus, not only is he with us in the midst of the tightness, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the insecurity, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the brokenness, but at the end, he's going to reveal himself in ways that that will make the journey look light and compared to his glory. But I also want to pause and I, I want to celebrate a particular people in our community who, like all of us, have entered into the narrow gate, but that we don't celebrate enough And that we don't acknowledge enough in the church and that we must. And these are Christians who are experiencing a life with same-sex attraction. Yet they remain faithful to the Bible's teaching on on sexual ethics and God's divine design for marriage. Believing that obedience to Jesus is better than life and it is found in him. I just want to encourage uh, my Christian brothers and sisters, uh, some of whom I've, I've journeyed with here in this church, to let you know that we know, I know that it's difficult. I can only imagine how difficult it is. I, I can imagine how hard it is, but we, we see you. Um, we want to celebrate you. 
We want to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus and keep moving forward and that he is with you and that he is an amazing reward. Jesus here has given us an invitation to the narrow way. And the narrow way is not to be narrow-minded. Sometimes we think that the narrow way is like this, and we say narrow-mindedness with a negativity to it. Uh, to be a Christian is to be narrow-minded, and that is because our, our eyesight is on Christ and in him alone. But it's not us to be mean, to be demeaning, or to be evil. It's actually the opposite. It's for us to be grace-filled and merciful while speaking the truth in love. Second, we see that kingdom citizens must discern who our true kingdom preachers, not only the true kingdom path, but who are true kingdom preachers. Jesus goes on to say, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are are raging wolves. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, hey, not only do you have to enter into a narrow gate and go a narrow path, uh, but you, you have to be able to discern uh, who are uh, uh, true prophets versus false prophets. This word false is where we get the word pseudo from. It means to, uh, to lie, right? Who are lying prophets? We've got a lot of prophet liars, not prophesiers, prophet liars. And Jesus warns the church. He says, be on guard. Watch out. Look out uh, for false prophets, for people who be prophet lying. And he goes on to say that they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're raging wolves. In other words, Jesus is saying they, they look the part. They seem innocent. They seem hard, harmless. But inside there's nothing but chaos, and they seek to wreak uh, uh, havoc. And then he helps us in verses 16 uh, through 19 uh, to be able to discern who is a true prophet and who is a false prophet. And in essence, he gives us a masterful, Jesus is just dope, man. I'm telling you, he gives us a masterful illustration. He says, you know, you might be able to be confused between a wolf and a sheep. It could be late. You could be tired. He can kind of be mimicking how the sheep are moving. But you can't fake a tree. Either a tree is going to be healthy and bearing fruit or it's not. And he calls his disciples to be able to discern fruit. What is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is going to soon leave. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be raised. He's going to go to be with the Father in heaven. And he is forming his church. He is forming his people. And he wants his people to have kingdom discernment. In the midst of living in Rome and us being in the 21st century where culture is constantly changing and, and things are constantly looking different, he's saying, you have to know who's speaking truth and who's speaking lies, who's representing uh, me, King Jesus, well, and who is not representing King Jesus well, who's a faithful mailman and who is not a faithful mailman, who's opening the envelope and changing things in order to be appeasing to those who, with whom they speak to. 1 John 4, 9 The Apostle John warns, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. Here at Sojourn, we want to be a church that can test spirits. We don't want to be like chaff that that goes with the wind. We don't want to be a people who think that we're smarter than God, that look at this book as if it's archaic or it's grown old. No, we want to see that God has spoken and that the only way to eternal life is to set our eyes uh, to Jesus. 
and to travel this narrow road, though it is tight, to keep traveling that narrow road, to know that we will be persecuted. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are you, flourishing are you, when you are, are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Just as they pro- persecuted the prophets before you, they are going to persecute you. And we want to be able to level up and to live a life that's not based on fear, but love, power, and a signed mind. Knowing that Christ is with us and he has called us to be salt and light in a very dark world. To hold fast. So how do we discern? We discern by looking for two things in our, in our preachers or people who profess to be prophets. We look for character and we look for content. We look for character and we look for content. What type of character are we looking for? Looking for fruit of the Spirit, right? He gives us this tree analogy, so we look for fruit. We look for the people who are preaching and teaching and prophesying to us. Do they produce, their life produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Now, all of us at some point in our lives are going to be off balance and we're going to be anxious and, and may not have all of these qualities But can we look at this person and say that there is a constant and consistent uh, uh, character that is developing in this person progressively and that we can see that they are walking with Jesus, experiencing uh, the Holy Spirit in this way? In terms of pastors and preachers here at Sojourn, I want you all to know that we do have a rubric for who should be preaching to us. And, And we don't have to make it up. Like, we, we didn't get a few people in the room and say, what do you think a pastor should be? Well, here's what we think the pastor should be, right? Uh, no, we go to God's word. God has already spoken. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he spoke. He says, if anyone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach, specifically an elder, a pastor. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? So we want to constantly be be inspecting fruit, looking for fruit, seeing if, if this person who's trying to speak into my life whether they're a pastor, whether they're a friend, do do they look like they spend time with Jesus? Do they know him? Are they walking with him? When they give you advice, are they pointing you to him and to his book? Are they pointing him to the worlds and the the ways and the philosophy of the world? Are they pointing you to Buddha or are they pointing you to Jesus? Like who are they pointing you to? Now that's a real question. Who are you listening to? Who's speaking into your life? Second is content. What are they like? What are they offering you? Jeremiah chapter eight verse eleven. Jeremiah is speaking to to Israel, who is in a time where they have to discern between two paths: a, a narrow path and a wide path. Two prophets, true prophets or false prophets. And this is what the Lord gave Jeremiah to say about the false prophets: they offer superficial treatments. For my people's mortal wound. 
They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. These false prophets were just coming alongside Israel and saying what they wanted them to hear, having this very humanistic word in order to be liked and to loved. And then Jeremiah goes on to say uh, about 15 chapters later, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says to his people. Do not listen to these prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with futile hopes. They are making up everything they say. They do not speak for the Lord. In essence, these false prophets, they come with a message that is, is meant to tickle people's ears, to make them as comfortable as possible, to entertain you. We're going to go gladiator on you. Are you not entertained, right? And some of us, we come in on a Sunday morning, and we, we come to be entertained. Did the preacher tell, tell enough stories? Did he smile enough? Did he make me feel like I'm awesome? Did he affirm that if I just try hard and work hard, I can have a a, a white picket fence and some beautiful dogs? Do I feel better about me? Is it like me, Jesus, the Father, Son? Like, am I part of the Trinity, you know? It's foolishness. And then we leave and we're marketed to believe that life is about the abundance of possessions and being awesome. And it's subtle what these preachers preach, right? Right? It sounds like the gospel. They smile and they say God exists and created the world and watches over human life in and on earth. And we say amen. They say God wants people to be good and nice to each other. As taught in the Bible. We say kind of. They say the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And some of us, we say, that sounds right. They say that God is needed in one's life mainly when he is uh, needed to resolve a problem. They say that good people go to heaven when they die. And that's what we believe. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is indeed sovereign. He sits over the whole universe, reigning and ruling with all power in his hand. The Bible teaches that indeed that those who have been given a new heart are those who will be empowered by a spirit to love him and to love people holistically. The Bible teaches not that we are at the center of God's will, but that he is at the center of his own will and that he deserves maximum glory. And that on this earth, we may not live and we should not live our best life now, that our best life is to come. The Bible teaches that fulfillment is not found in the lust of the flesh or the pride of the life or the abundance of possessions, but it's found when we fix our eyes on this God man who was so amazing and who loved us so much that he came 42 generations. He entered into this dark kingdom. He put on human flesh. He walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He went up the Via Della Rosa. He allowed himself to be spat on, to be beat, to be marginalized, to be disrespected though he owns all of the world and he was hung high, stretched wide, dropped low, put in a borrowed tomb, spat upon. But on the third day, he got up with all power in his hand. And he's now seated on the right hand of the father, soon to return to allow earth and heaven to collide and us to enter into a kingdom that is streets are paved with gold where there is no need for the S-U-N because the S-O-N is shining 24 hours a day. 
and where we will reign and rule in his kingdom as, as princesses and princes under the sovereign hand of a triune God. And every tear will be wiped. Cancer will no longer exist. Arthritis will no longer exist. Sexual brokenness will no longer exist. Death will no longer exist. That is the message of the Bible. Those who suffer with him will reign with him. Eugene Peterson says this, Be wary of false prophets who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Jesus goes on to say, Perhaps some of the hardest words in all of Scripture. Some of you have stayed up at night thinking about this. When these words were read, you felt the weight of it. And I think that that's good. But I also think it's good for us to know what exactly he's getting at here. In verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) He's saying that being a disciple is more than having the ability to say the right things and ascend to the right truths. But only the one who does the will of my father. That is the key interpretive part of this section. That Jesus is creating a community of people who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are growing in desire and ability to do the Father's will. Or as they live and walk this narrow path, are beginning to look more and more like Jesus. They don't always feel like it. Because the closer you grow to look like Jesus, the more you see who you really are. But they have a desire to actually please him. See, these false prophets are people who do all the right things externally, the Pharisees. But internally, they were using Jesus to make themselves famous. They were exploiting his name for wealth and riches and popularity. Their righteousness was all about being seen by man. And on the day of judgment, they will stand before him and they will be exposed. Jesus will be like, yo, you say you know me like you may know me, but I don't know you. You use me. You never gave me your heart. You gave me all these external things. Then they'll go on. And they say, wait a minute, Jesus, you don't understand. I was gifted. Like, I, was, I did some dope stuff. Like, like, I drove out demons. I did these miracles. Like, it was like this, these, like, people came from all around the world. And I was like, Phew, and they were like, whoa. Right? Right? I was killing them. I was getting my Benny Hinn on. <laughs> like, bodies was dropping to the floor. And Jesus is like, I hear you, but I never knew you. Like, no, 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 you don't understand, Jesus. Like, I read my Bible every day. I hear you, but it was about you. It wasn't about me. I never knew you. 
It's not external conformity. It's not, our, it's not on two extremes. It's not legalism and checking off a box. The other extreme is not this idea of I'm following Jesus, but I get to live however I want. It's giving him your heart and allowing him to be Lord. Asking him to shape you to be uh, so that he's the most important person in your life. Amen. Notice how he ends that, depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's what he's saying. You've, you've lived however you want to live. Greatest laws, love God, love with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love neighbors yourself. You lived how you wanted to live. So what's the application? Two quick things. One is to check your gate. Just like you do when you, if you've traveled before and you got off an airplane, and the first thing you do and you got a connecting flight, you look for the gate to make sure the gate hadn't moved. As Christians, the Bible tells us that we constantly have to kind of check our gate. Make sure we are going the narrow way. Make sure that we are not seeking uh, to avoid suffering, to avoid persecution, um, to avoid hardship, uh, dumbing down, numbing down of the gospel. Make sure we're going the right way, that we're acknowledging that following Jesus is hard, but it's also full of life. It's also full of joy. And that all of us, All of us are called to pick up our crosses. You are not an anomaly if you're suffering. You're not an anomaly if you're hard, but it's hard. Everybody feels that way. I feel that way. Midweek this week, I'm like, man, this joker is hard. This stinks. And I'm I'm, I'm paid to read my Bible. And sometimes I'm like, this is hard. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I'm paid to pray. And sometimes I don't feel like praying. It's hard. Yes, I throw fits too. But this is the narrow way. And it's okay. We're hard-pressed, but not destroyed. Second, not only do we want to check your gate, but check your fruit. Make sure that your walk goes beyond speech and external things that other people can celebrate about you. It's about a relationship with a person who lives and exists and wants to know you. It's not about Christianese, and it's not about doing works in which everyone else can affirm you. Who you are in the morning when there's no one there to applaud you is who you are. Who you are in the middle of the day where there's no one patting you on the back for picking up dirty laundry It shows more of who you are than you doing something in which you can be patted on the back for and celebrated. Jesus is after wholeheartedness, helping us to grow more and more like him and to value being seen by the Father who is in heaven rather than men who are on the earth. And he longs to be in relationship with you. He longs to be intimate with you. He longs to talk to you and to walk with you and to encourage you and to to connect with the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you so that you can cry out, Abba, Father. He longs to shape you and to make you and to to remake you and to to mold you. He is, is the potter. You are the clay. He's like, just sit here and allow me to you, allow me to, to affirm you, allow me to confirm that you are mine, allow me to lavish upon you love that you've never seen, that you've never experienced, that no one else can duplicate or, or replicate. Allow me, allow me, allow me.
allow me, allow me, allow me to be and to dwell in you. Abide in me and allow my words to abide in you. Allow me to allow you to bear fruit that you could never imagine, that you could never comprehend. Allow me to use you and and your giftings and in your own way. Stop looking at other people. Put your eyes on me. Allow me to sing over you. Allow me to, to comfort you. Allow me to give you joy. Allow me to give you identity. Allow me to give you purpose. Allow me, allow me right where you are. Allow me to be yours and you to be mine. He's saying, I am what you need. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And we may go through this narrow gate, stumbling, feeling crowded, wondering why the God is so happy. But just keep going through. Knowing in due season, you will find that joy and that peace that you long for. Because joy and peace is found in him and him alone. And if you're on that narrow, that wide path today, I'm telling you, Jesus gives a warning. He says the end is destruction. The narrow gate and the wide gate, they have some commonalities. Everybody, no matter which way you choose, you're seeking happiness, you're seeking fulfillment, and you're seeking joy. But Jesus is saying there's only one way to it, and that's through me. Every Sunday we gather together and we take communion, a meal that reminds us as Christians of our union with Christ. We take bread, we break it, reminding ourselves that Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done for himself. He picked up a cross and he died for us his way was narrow. It was difficult, but it also was full of life. We take wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine. We dip the bread in either, whatever your conscience permits. And every week this reorients us in the midst of a disorienting world around what matters most and who matters most, which is Jesus. If you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you not to partake in this meal. And we just want to invite you while we're taking this meal Uh, to just think about what you heard and to hear that God, who is the heavenly father of all things, is a loving and gracious God who is inviting you to to a life that is full of life. And he's not lying to you. He's like, yo, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. The wide way is difficult. It's hard, and it leads to destruction. Both ways are difficult. Only one has true joy and true fulfillment. The other is false. Uh, you'll, if you uh, don't take this meal, you'll know that there's other Christians who's not taking this meal as well. Um, and that's not out of shame or guilt. Um, it's actually a, a sign of strength. Jesus invites us, if our heart is in a place of, of being hard, where we are, are not uh, uh, intentional to, to work out and to forgive others, that we should, we should pass the meal at that time and just... Uh, and redirect our attention on him. Those of you who are in the front, come to the front, back, go to back, gluten-free communions to my left. Let's pray.